0: Welcome to Hemp Stocks, where we dive deep into all things hemp and explore all the amazing opportunities and solutions that this plant has to offer. We're going to look beyond just the medicinal healing properties of CBD, because hemp is so much more than just medicine. From farming and manufacturing, carbon capture, clean energy economics, water and soil remediation, there are so many solutions if we start living hemp consciously. My name is Adam Stevens, and each week I'm going to take you on a journey as we explore all the many possibilities that hemp has to offer. So you with me? Calling all cannabinats. It's time for Hemp Stocks. All right. Welcome back. Yes, I'm Adam Stevens here. I'm joined with David Miguel. And this week we have Bruce Michael Dietzen. This man is the founder of Drawdown Hemp. Uh, He's been on the forefront. Uh, This is an old school elder that's got a lot of good knowledge here.
1: So, drawdown hemp, Adam. What what's that all
0: about? Drawdown in general is a new concept for me. It's it's that point in time uh, in the future that we reach where we are actually taking more carbon out of the air than we're putting in, and um, I just that's just a beautiful concept to me. You know the we've always been thinking of these kind of deadlines of this point of no return, um, with, with climate change. And this is a a point on the horizon we can look at. Um, that's, that's positive, but, um, what he's work what this organization is working on is to quantify how hemp can capture carbon so that this can go from not being a pie in the sky idea, but being something that countries around the world and different organizations can take action on that the climate uh, that the international climate groups can take seriously because there has been this prohibition on hemp, not just in America but around the world. And so, if we can get past that, the solutions are are, are immense and immediate. And um, and he's got a very big vision. I think he's probably got the biggest vision of anyone, any any of the guests that we've had on as far as hemp globally transforming the way that
1: we live. And So draw down hemp is almost kind of a way to to begin to create like a measuring stick for carbon capture, if you will. Yes.
0: Yeah, it's a way they're putting the reports together, putting the studies together so that people that are in power can take action and they have the data to back it up. You know, we have these people that are spending millions and millions of dollars trying to create machines to take carbon out of the atmosphere and put it in the soil. and it blows the mind because we have a solution right here. And so the more that we can keep saying that over and over again, and people getting that through their heads, that we do have the solutions already. The solutions have been here the whole time. We don't need to create something new to save the environment. Yeah. So anyway, that's, uh, that's what they're working on doing. They're working really hard to get that information to the right people.
1: Well, I I look forward to hearing it.
0: (laughs) Awesome. All right. Well, without further ado, Bruce, Michael Dietzen. Okay, welcome everybody. Uh, again, thanks for joining us. My name is Adam Stevens and I'm really excited to introduce our guest this week. This man is doing a lot to quantify carbon capture and how hemp can provide a lot of solutions so that we can take this to the people that can really make change. So I'm really excited to, to introduce him. His name is Bruce Michael Dietzen and he joins me right now. Bruce, how are you today?
2: Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me.
0: Okay, wonderful. First, let's kind of give me a little bit of background about yourself, your background, and then how you got into hemp. What drew it to you in the first
2: place? Yeah, sure. I was in the computer industry for about 25 years and uh, kind of semi-retired in my 40s. And then uh, about uh, about nine years ago, I wanted to design my own sports car. And uh, I learned about uh, Jack Herrer, who wrote a book called The Emperor Wears No Clothes in 1985. And it, Talking about how hemp can help save an inhabitable planet back in 1985, and one of the stories talked about was Henry Ford with his car that he introduced in 1941, which is a prototype car it was made out of plant material. One of the plants that was used was hemp, and there were several other types of hemp fibers, other fibers in there as well. But that, that 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 got me really excited. I thought, wow, I should do that. This is a, it's probably got a really small footprint uh, because of a carbon footprint. And so that's what I made a car that day. And uh, that, got, that got a lot of attention. Uh, Jay Leno's team called me up, and they wanted to uh, bring the car out there. So I got it out there, and Jay looked at it and drove it around. It was fun. Uh, and then all of a sudden, we got viewed by 50 million people. And so it's one of the more visible hemp products out there. And so that's when I got into this whole concept of the carbon negative make, making things out of carbon negative plant material,
0: yeah. And so you started drawdown hemp, right? And the concept of drawdown, that's the point where we're taking more carbon out of the air than we're putting into it, right? And it is this kind of it's a shift in mindset. It's actually a great shift because a lot of people thinking about the future and the environment, they're seeing these deadlines of the point of no return, right? but this is kind of a shift in the future that we can look at that's positive, something that we can work towards. Tell me about Drawdown Hemp. Uh, how, how did it start and kind of your mission statement? And, and tell us
2: about that. Okay. Well, first off, I'll just mention, I'm glad that people are starting to think about this. Actually, they should be scared shitless. Um, for, for those in your audience that are not, not already familiar with this, the IPCC uh, has just over the last couple of weeks Made a, a new announcement saying that if we do not eliminate forty-five percent of the uh, fossil fuels that we're burning by 2030, then we will we may very well get a tipping point where it's going to set off additional things in the uh, in the climate, the tundra thawing out, etc., and we, we will be in, in a runaway train situation, and there will be nothing that we can do to uh, save the planet ability to be inhabitable it's just going to get warmer and warmer bigger bigger problems but that's today's news and so everybody needs to know that needs to be aware and needs to be absolutely uh concerned that we are not using technology that's available today in order to draw down co2 of the atmosphere and the technology that's available today is called so a year ago a buddy of mine. mind Steve Ising and I, we were at the big uh, hemp show, Noco in Denver, and we brainstormed a little bit. I was showing off the latest hemp car, and we thought, well, let's start start up an organization that carries on from where Project Drawdown started, and if you're not familiar with that, or if your audience isn't familiar with Project Drawdown, I highly recommend getting a copy of that book. It's called Drawdown, and the editor of the book is Paul Hawking, And he started in 2013 uh, with uh, an effort to take a look at 100 different uh, top ways to draw down CO2 out of the atmosphere, either to do that or to avoid putting CO2 in the atmosphere. And he came up with his, his group of scientists, 83 teams got together ultimately and came up with quantified how much CO2 could be sequestered and how much could be avoided uh, between 2020 and uh, 2050. And some of the solutions were just really awesome, and some were just okay, uh, but they were all great. But at the end of the book, uh, it said coming attractions, and it listed out three or four different things that they didn't have time to study. And one them was industrial hemp. And if you, if you can imagine this, in 2013, industrial hemp was still considered as dangerous as heroin and cocaine, even though it couldn't get you high. So that's how backwards we were. I mean, and Jack Herrer back in 1985 was saying hemp is the thing that can help us take the plant. And so I've always been intrigued about that. I always wanted to take a look at um, what was possible with hemp. And so that's when we started a year ago. We started to do the same thing, basically the same thing that Project Drawdown did and quantifying uh, these different measures. Uh, and really discovered that hemp can actually uh, be used so many different ways. It it looks like we could actually draw down, uh, avoid, I should say, avoid or sequester. There are two different ways to deal with with carbon, uh, carbon dioxide. We can either avoid or sequester several gigatons per year, starting almost immediately if we just take action instead of waiting around for the next five, 10 years for these other man-made technologies to be manufactured and deployed, we can start doing it right now.
0: Right. Yeah. And so that's kind of what I, what I love about you is you've really pushed the urgency because obviously now is the time, but the thing is that hemp, because it grows so fast, uh, can a lot can change in a quick amount of time. So it's a matter of educating people. Right. And um, so that they can kind of see See what's what's possible here. So, um, so with the project drawdown book. So I'm assuming a lot of the things they talked about, people are starting to implement. But of course, hemp. There was the still the prohibition. How insane that is. And so it it couldn't have really been explored. And so now we're finally getting there, right? And um, and so that's kind of what you're doing. And so you've looked at many of the different products that hemp can be turned into and kind of looked at different levels of carbon sequestration, what's the most effective. And so kind of tell us a little bit about that and what what is the best way, uh, best uses for hemp and best things that we can do to really help speed this stuff along.
2: Right, right. So what, we, what we've what we done so far over the last year, Adam, is to... Uh, take a look at 18 different hemp products um, or services and quantify just how much, how much CO2 can be avoided or sequestered in different applications. And they range all over the place uh, from you know the, uh, 10 million tons to oh, well over a gigaton per year. And it's been a real eye-opener because when we first started to take a look at that, we just assumed something like hempcrete, right? If you make all the homes in the world out of hempcrete instead of concrete and timber and drywall and fiberglass insulation all that stuff is pretty nasty uh, then it would probably be a big number it turned out to be a pretty big number um, but there are actually applications that were much 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 bigger actually so uh, just give you one example something that we can execute right now uh, and and get started uh doing immediately and it would be great wonderful. By the way, uh, just about all the applications that we looked at, just you know, uh, it was assumed that the hemp would be grown for the grain. So it's a dual purpose crop. So if you would get the grain that way. That way you're not taking up land space that does not produce food, right? Uh, that's a big concern right now. When people talk about uh, natural ways to address the climate change if you grow a bunch of stuff and you don't and it doesn't produce food then it's kind of taboo so of course the grain as you know and your listeners probably know is uh, one of the healthiest types of food so that needs to be said first but give you an example Um, right now we could be taking uh, the hemp stalks and turning them into biochar Hemp makes absolutely fantastic biochar because as you mentioned it grows very fast. So you have the micro pores and the macro pores. And so it holds on to water and holds on to any nutrients that you pre-impregnate uh, the biochar before you put it into the soil. So if you take and you put one ton of biochar, high-quality biochar, uh, onto a, an acre, right, and you did that on crop lands all around the world. And as you know, crop lands are highly depleted of their, of their soil, uh their soil carbon in their soil, right? So they're saying that within decades, croplands around the world are gonna to start to fail because there's not enough carbon content, So we put the carbon content in. It. And so it helps to increase, I've heard that, that you can get the first year after you put in a good high quality biochar, you can increase potentially the yield by something like 30%. So you can do that on all the croplands around, around the world that are appropriate. It's not going to work the same for uh, certain soils. So our measurements were basically about half the crop where it would be affected. And then you could do a similar thing for croplands that have been abandoned uh, in the past. Uh, and there you would put up to 10 tons uh, per acre. So you, now you're, you're bringing in more land to be cultivated to produce more food. And at the same time, you're sequestering all that CO2 in a form of biochar right into these right into these croplands uh, and abandoned croplands on a massive scale.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So okay. So this. Yeah. So biochar. So tell me a little bit about that because I, I know a little bit. So it's and it's it's basically restoring the soil. We're putting nutrients back in, putting the carbon back in that the microbes can then use. Um, what is that process though? Is there because I've heard that biochar. Are you, are you burning things and is that releasing? See, what's the kind of process of prepping the hemp for the biochar? Well, biochar
2: uh, biochar is made through a process called pyrolysis and it's been around forever we've known how to do this humans know how to do this for thousands of years and what you're doing is you're heating biomass uh, with extremely small amount of oxygen if you heat up any bio uh, biomaterial material in, in the presence of oxygen it combusts right but if there's very little oxygen almost none then what it does is all of the uh non-carbon material basically um, is uh, off-gassed, right, including what's called syngas. And you can take that syngas and pipe it around and use that as the fuel for syngas. You start it with something like propane, but then you continue it with with syngas. And so what happens is over over a period of time, it could either be a short, uh, fast pyrolysis or a long pyrolysis, and there's different... Schools have thought about which one is better. But uh, net, net, um, you end up with this, this 90 plus percent carbon content material is called biochar. And it's really the skeletal structure of that plant material or whatever bio, biological material. And uh, hemp just happens to be a really good biochar. It holds on to that water, it holds on to any nutrients that you might want to put into it. It's in and of itself, it's not a fertilizer it does it, if you take one one cubic centimeter of half biochar and you broke it down to what's constituent parts are the surface area i should say uh, you have something like three football of surface area in that small amount so it acts as a a reservoir water and nutrients for the microbes and and so it, it really helps increase the production of uh, farm farmlands.
0: That is amazing. No, thank you for breaking that down because that is that's just fascinating to hear. And then so kind of logistics with that is that uh, is that technology that farmers can have on site or because I know right now there's you know there's the struggle with infrastructure and obviously. Uh, you know, there's only a certain radius that farms can really kind of work, work in with their crops. So um, is, this, is this something that they would be able to do themselves? And that Because they're putting it right back onto their soil, essentially, uh, in different ways, right?
2: Yeah. There's a couple different companies that are working on having on-site pyrolysis, pyrolysis systems. Uh, two of them are, are uh, regular members of Drawdown Count. And that would be Can Waste, uh, Kevin Bernard and uh, uh, Jeremy uh, Hale from Can Waste. And then there's a, uh, another, I'm not sure what Paul Anderson's company's name is. But Paul is uh, a co author, uh, along with Hugh McLaughlin, and I think this is the name, of a, a well read paper called All Biochars and Not Create Equal." And so both those have on site pyrolysis systems. And then there are larger systems as well. Uh, I was just talking to Clayton Turner uh, from Hemp blockchain the other day. And they've got a system that looks pretty cool, too. And he tells me it's 100% contained. So there's, there's, they're optimizing the thing. And letting even less of these uh, gases escape into the atmosphere. There are various different companies that have different sizes, different capacities. And what's going to happen over the next couple of years? We're going to find out, you know, just exactly what's the right size machine, and that gives the uh, absolutely, you know, the the same consistent results and can be relied upon uh, to make uh, very consistent high quality biochar. And so it's kind of a nascent industry. There's a lot of people looking into it, not just us. Yeah, and as you know, biochar is extremely light density. So the lighter the material, the more ridiculous it is to, you know, rent a, a, an 18-wheeler and ship it, you know, 200 miles It's just ridiculously expensive. Same thing with hemp stalks. So if you can process those right on right on the farm and turn it into a higher value farm commodity that you can sell, voila, that's a beautiful thing for, for the farmer.
0: And so the market would be other farmers then that want to increase their yields,
2: right? Right. And that's whether they're in the United States or in the middle of a jungle someplace down in uh, Brazil, you know, in a little tiny village. You know, we want to be able to ultimately We want to have these technologies available for uh, producers anywhere
0: in order to encourage farmers to. To make this switch you know they need that end market you know they need to make sure that they have a way to to make a profit and to get through and um i know there's a lot of I- different ideas about there. um to, uh, ways for people to, through some sort of carbon market, not necessarily what's set up right now, but ways for people to support farmers just for growing hemp for the carbon sequestration, if we can quantify the carbon sequestration, say. Uh, have you heard of any ideas like that or or anything like that getting started?
2: Sure, yeah. So um, first thing I want mention about carbon credits when it comes to hemp, there's something I call a trifecta effect right there's three different ways to potentially make money from sequestering carbon from him they don't all exist today but i think they will Uh, the first one is something that everybody's trying to go after and that's soil sequestration through regenerative agricultural practices you know using organic fertilizers and low or no tilling to keep the soil alive because every time you till that soil it opens it up and uh, all, all that biome that's in the soil is now exposed to the air and can bio and biodegrade fast and kills off that biome, exposes it. So the CO2 is, is escapes from soil. But if you don't till it, it doesn't escape as rapidly, nowhere near as rapidly. So that's one. Another one, which is, which is bigger, um, is turning the stalks into durable goods because the biomass above ground is probably more, uh, although some people will say it's not, but it's probably more than the biomass bio, uh, underneath it, right. Um, so that's where you get folks saying, oh, maybe you get two or three uh, tons potential in, you know, soil sequestration per acre. But you could get four or seven or something like that. Uh, tons of dried hemp stalks, which then could be turned into hempcrete or any number of other different products, et cetera. But if if they're turned into something like chemcrete or biochar, now you've got something that's going to be sequestering CO2 for a hundred or a thousand years. So that's really exciting. So you got those two. Then you have the third one, the trifecta, and that is replacing products that require a lot of fossil fuels. So that's where the avoidance comes into so the first two are sequestration this one is avoid and so um, let's take the concrete as an example if you can replace the concrete that goes into a building with something that's carbon negative right concrete as we know cement it's the cement that goes into concrete it's a one-to-one for every for every ton of that you're dumping roughly a ton of, of co2 into the atmosphere on the other hand, if you're going to make your building out of hempcrete or carbon-negative concrete, you can actually sequester CO2 into the atmosphere while you are into these, into these buildings while you're avoiding the CO2 that would normally be uh, generated. So hempcrete's always been a great example of that. Instead of making, stuff out, making a building out of, out of concrete, you're make it out of hempcrete, you're going carbon-negative instead of carbon-positive. So that's pretty exciting.
0: Yeah, no, that's fabulous. So and it's getting people to again make that shift, you know, like the I can I imagine the traditional uh, construction guy out there, he's used to his concrete. He's not going to want to make this shift. You know, there's going to be a lot of resistance along the way, a lot of industries that are going to have to change. Um, It's just like when I've talked to people about how hemp can replace our paper products and and change the logging industry. You know, there's all these industries that would, will have to change and be affected and it is disruptive. Um, But uh, ways to make it, um, you know, exciting for the the average American to say this is the direction we need to go in and these are the cool things that, that can become hemp can be made into almost anything. It's really amazing. And so it really can revolutionize almost every different industry.
2: Well that's why we wanted to quantify it. It's because for for decades people have been running around and saying hemp can be made into fifty thousand dollars fifty thousand products. You know, and when I first got into it there wasn't that this much talk about the climate crisis, right? So when I heard that, yeah, 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 50,000 things that hemp would be made into. But you know, uh, 10 years ago, uh, you also had to ask the question, yes, but can it be done for less? Can you do it better, faster, cheaper with hemp? And the answer was basically no, we couldn't do that unless there was all this infrastructure in place, etc. Now it's a different world. 10 years later now the planet is going to die if we don't do something now it's not just words. It's, it's oh yeah it's better faster cheaper so it'll sell to put it on the shelves and it's 10 percent less we don't care about that we've got to get into what what fdr calls a wartime mobilization like we did before world war II. so we need something that can be executed right now campus is, is perfect
0: perfect thing for doing. So, yeah. And so, you know, government agencies, things take a really long time, right? And uh, change is very slow. And so you are kind of working to get those balls rolling for, you know, a year or two down the road. So kind of tell me about that, um, the efforts that you've kind of made either uh, with governmental or international organizations and kind of just make getting hemp as the focal point for people to focus on as a
2: solution yeah this is the first time that i know of that any uh hemp related organization has gone to the to the point of trying to quantify just how much uh co2 can be avoided and sequestered right other entities you know like a replant etc., with jeff whalen great guy great organization They're, they've been mentioning there they've been meeting with the government officials and say, hemp is good, hemp is good, hemp is good, etc. Uh, but hopefully this is going to help give them the actual numbers, right? So it can quantify. At the end of the day, you have to quantify all this stuff. And right now, um, unfortunately, you've got the uh, fossil fuel industry is the most powerful lobbying industry in the world. And they just got $12 billion from the U.S. government to fund more studies, Carbon capture and utilization, right? Cap- capturing the CO two coming out of smokestacks, which is fine. And then there's direct air capture, right? Which is a man-made machine that sucks in the air and takes the CO two out of it and then pushes pushes it in the air back up. And both technologies, are right now, are very very expensive. Oh, it looks like DAC direct air capture is going to get less expensive. There's a lot of folks putting a lot of time and effort into stuff. but neither one of those things is really going to scale for another ten
0: years. Yeah, talk about reinventing the wheel, right? Because you have you have plants that have been c- capturing carbon uh, forever, and you know they say, "Oh, okay, well let's let's invent a machine that's going to take carbon out of the air and put it into the ground."
2: Yeah, and to and to your point, right, uh, Adam. It, you know, the problem, part of the problem is you've got world leaders that are still going like, wait a second, I've heard that hemp is cannabis, and cannabis is bad. Yeah, I mean,
0: let's talk, let's talk about that. I mean, that's got to be the most frustrating part. I mean, um, that, that hemp is treated like any other commodity. It's just, it's so crazy. The reason is because, to the naked eye, it's indistinguishable a little bit from a marijuana plant, and so you know there's all this kind of fear and stuff out there, and um, and then actually, I think in some ways the 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 kind of CBD and kind of some of the delta eight and some of this stuff also has kind of shaken and scared some of the. Uh, um, the regulators and people in charge because they don't know about that stuff. And so if we can get people to look at it, at the fiber as a crop, you know, um, and, and as something completely separate, you know, it's just the THC just completely muddies the water and just makes it, uh, it's so frustrating, I'm sure for you too.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know what to think about, you know, whether I should be opposing or backing um, folks that are making CBD uh, and then changing it into uh, delta eight, et cetera, uh, Because it does kind of muddy the the discussion, right? This is the same thing that Jack Kerr uh, conversation that that just that, that Jack Kerr got into with normal back in the nineteen eighties. Normal was just getting started. Jack Kerr was was saying that hemp uh, was was going to save the planet, blah blah blah. and uh, and the guys at normal uh, they just wanted to get marijuana legalized and Jack, who liked both, was saying, well, the most important message is that we need to save save an inhabitable planet with this plant called hemp. And these guys didn't get along. they should have, but you know they're trying to send the same they're trying to send conflicting messages to the government. And that was 35 years ago.
0: I mean, it is it is kind of mind-blowing, but, um, you know, we are where we are. And we can only move forward from here. And so um, the good thing is that people are starting to wake up, and it's going to be one of those, you know, slow engines. It's going to, you know, slowly build up there, um, and, and you're definitely working really hard to, to push things. But from your perspective, the kind of big environmental movements, you know, the Climate Accords, are you hearing... Is hemp a part of that at all on an international um, level as far as part of the solution?
2: Um, Not nearly to the degree that it needs to be. So that is why we did draw down hemp. That's specifically why we did that. But the good news, here's the good news. Um, As a team, we submitted an application for a a solution to uh, Elon Musk. X Prize um, back on February first, I think it was was the deadline, and we've worked on it for uh, numerous months. But last week, we got notification that we were one of uh, 287 qualified contestants. Right, there were um, 1,133 teams that submitted for this X Prize competition. And they narrowed it down to 287. What was really great about it, there were seven other hemp teams as well. So out of 287 folks thinking that they've got a really great solution, there were eight teams that were hemp-centric. Eight! And so that's that's just a really good indication uh, that hemp is starting to get uh, a lot more consideration. This is much; it's much better received today than it was mm-hmm. uh, ten years
0: ago. Yeah. So, and you uh, you spoke at at Noco uh, this past year. How how many kind of speaking engagements do you do like that? Um, you know, or how how much of your time is spent trying to educate people?
2: Pretty much all my time is mm-hmm. is I don't know if it's education, perhaps, uh, but ultimately it leads to education because of what we're doing with drawdown. Because our ultimate goal is to quantify what I could do and then dispel all of the BS that's out there.
0: You're in the middle of basically these studies, right? Because they have to be long-term studies. Where are you at with being able to have something? Are we um, like months or years away from having um, data that, that is kind of ready to go for, for people to take action on?
2: Yeah, what, we, what we've got right now is just 18 cursory analyses uh, of the 18 different hemp solutions that are out there uh, they are not full of life cycle analysis one is very close um, uh, and that's biochar used in conjunction with cement Um uh, that one we did a lot very detailed analysis uh because that was proposed to x price. but uh it's an ongoing process Adam. Uh, what we need to do now is, to do, is take a look and do the same thing for another 20 or so types of hemp products uh, and services and then take them to the next level uh, and analyze how much land is going to be required for this total, this one solution. What's the cost going to be? Is it going to be more than what the current cost is? What's the cost of buying hemp wood versus some other type of flooring, etc.? In other words, what's the premium? Right, the green premium, as Bill Gates likes to call it. But if it ends up being a solution that can help sequester a lot of CO2 or avoid a lot of CO2, we've got to take a look at that and go, hmm, wow, maybe instead of of, uh, giving the petroleum companies all these subsidies, maybe we should give the health industry some subsidies, right, to make these products. It's a no brainer. I mean, we shouldn't even have to argue that. And eventually that's what's going to happen. You know, the, the governments are eventually going to wake up and say, hey, maybe we shouldn't be giving the petroleum companies uh, subsidies. We should be giving you guys subsidies. Oh, that's a really great idea.
0: But so it, in this country, is it is it it's still, it's, it's the lobbying game, basically? You have to have a hemp uh, kind of lobby to, to kind of push um, politicians to make changes like that, you know, with subsidies and things?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, that's we're we're still, there are other solutions out there, right? It's not just that there are other uh, good solutions that, that are not getting the airtight that they should. I, I personally think campus is the number one. But there are other, other good ones that just don't get the same kind of visibility that the petroleum industry does. And so the, the oil and gas, I should say. So oil and gas industry um, has so much money that they can get the attention of. Of, uh, of politicians uh, by you know getting the the funds to get them re-elected right but they're constantly in their here. and so that's where you're seeing most of the funding for things like direct air capture and carbon capture and utilization uh, even though there's a lot of folks that you know, don't really believe that much that those are going to do all that well um, i don't want to say anything bad about the other solutions but i'm just i'm just saying that uh, we are not equally represented. And so our voice has to be a little louder. <clears throat> and um, so thank you for doing the show.
0: <laughs> I'm trying to get it out there because in my, in my opinion, there's two ways that the average person, you know, they can vote with their dollar and they can actually vote. Right. And uh, I, I don't really know of too many politicians that are running on a hemp platform. Um, but you know, my my partner David Miguel and I always talk about hemp as this middle path where there's something that we can agree on uh, that you may not agree in, in, in other ways. So if we can if we can kind of get this uh, hemp as a platform, um, someone speaking it as as solutions, that's not really going to happen until there's a groundswell. Um, from people so again yeah that's part of what this podcast is about it's trying to get people to to realize that there's solutions out there and, and start to try to demand for some change and because like Bruce is saying we are running out of time so you know a lot can change in a short amount of time but it will only change when a large amount of people are ready to push for that and so um, that's what we're, we're working every day every week to to try to get more people uh, in line with that
2: you said you want to read *The Emperor Wears No Clothes* by Jack Herrer, By the way, uh, make sure you get the latest edition; otherwise, it might be a bootleg one. It's the uh, it's the 14th edition uh, on Amazon. If it doesn't say 14th edition on it, then you don't know where it's coming from. Just two years ago, that uh, Dan Herrer, Jack's son, approached me and said, uh, "This has been out of print ever since my dad passed away in 2010. Can you help me get it?" Get it, uh, get it republished again. And I said, why are you calling me on this? <laughs> he says, well, you've worked in the computer industry. You must, must know how to use a computer. I said, yeah, well, I guess. So I, I took on the task and, and we got out there again. It's republished. So it's the 14th edition. It's the Emperor Wears No Clothes. And, if you, and one of the other things that we did, too, is uh, work with Dan and we made an updated version uh, as the ebook. So uh, a lot of the news that's happened since Jack passed away in 2010 in the, in the hemp cannabis space, we have uh, uh, links to a lot of those stories, and there's hundreds of them uh, from the news in the past decade about cannabis, and that's an the book version. So it's a little more a richer uh, experience, and you can watch videos click right from your ebook, etc. But if you want to pay for back, you can get a paperback 14th edition for you so there's my there's my plug
0: <laughs> awesome yeah i like that okay as you were talking i kind of something clicked for me because hemp grows in so many different environments and different climates right that's one of the crazy things about it so they're growing it in montana and they're growing it in north carolina and they're growing it everywhere right and so for when it comes to in those different regions, they might be growing hemp for a different purpose. So in the Northwest where there's a lot of lumber mills, um, and that there could be hemp farms in those areas because it's regionalized and it's close and then it can replace the lumber there. but you can have hemp farmers in a different part of the country that are growing it for uh, you know for the fiber you know and so, so it can because it can grow in so many different places, it can be grown for different purposes in those re- regionalized areas and and that to me makes a lot of sense
2: and that's I'm glad you brought that up because that's a point that I make in this video and the, and again, the video is just starting to get out there right now um uh trying to to, to send this message but uh consistency okay. when Where we're we're heading to right now, and you're just starting to see some articles about this, but I've been trying to uh, scream about it for the last couple of years, uh, is a biogenic economy, um, whereby everything that we possibly can make from crop materials uh, is is made from crop materials because they are potentially carbon-negative. So what's going to happen? You know your kids and your kids' grandkids. It will be commonplace for, for them to look all around them, from the buildings they're in to the hemp shirts they're wearing, like this one, um, to the plastics that they that are they're using, etc. Will be carbon negative. And the reason why that is, whether we have these direct air capture machines or not, we're still going to have to pull more and more CO two out of the atmosphere in, in the future on an ongoing basis. In order to get back down to uh, pre-industrial uh, revolution levels of the parts per million in the atmosphere we're going to have to make everything we possibly care about carbon negative material and it's not going to be that hard it's just going to take a shift in in the mindset and it's, again it's an inevitable i guarantee you this will happen um because we don't have any choice yeah
0: yeah, absolutely. Well, Bruce, man, this has been really great, and I'm gonna stay in touch with you, man, for sure. So this has uh, been fabulous for for me to be able to pick your brain and you to share this stuff. We are gonna have links both uh, to the to that to the YouTube video that is on there from your Noco uh, presentation, um, which is fabulous. It's really more of a deep dive into a lot of the things that we've been talking about here today. So uh, I really encourage um, people to find you and and follow you. So. What would be your advice to, to the average listener that's out there that wants to help? How can they help? And then um, any kind of contact information that you want to throw out there?
2: Uh, if folks are interested in getting involved with uh, DrawdownHemp, uh, we're just a, a volunteer organization. Uh, uh, but what we do kind of require is that people who want to be part of drawdown, DrawdownHemp.org, that's our website, is that they help out with some of the research. Right and uh, spend a little time so that they can get a little recognition. that's fine, but uh we want to uh, do all those things I was talking about further further quantify a bunch of different products and get it very detailed. So they're welcome to send us a message if you can go there, there's a contact uh, button you can click and send send a message. yeah,
0: wonderful. All right, well again, Bruce Michael Dietzen, thank you so much for joining me. It's been awesome. And, uh, yeah, you have a great rest of your day.
2: Thanks, Adam. Good to talk to you.
0: Okay, welcome back, man. That was amazing. I got David here again, David. That was a lot of information, huh, Bruce really laid it out
1: there yes, yes, sir he He's like a fast moving hemp car. <laughs> um, you know, and I did want to share with our with our listeners that you know since we've recorded with Bruce, I have um uh, had the opportunity to sit on in on a couple of meetings for drawdown hemp, and I do think what they're trying to do with um Trying to basically create a um, a formula for understanding um, carbon capture, you know, on all levels, um, not just in, um, in the ground, but also post, you know, with building materials and things of that nature. But the one thing I did really want to point out is that I gathered from the group is the importance at this point is if we really want to have hemp included in the conversation around soil remediation, it's gonna be real important for us to start talking to the EPA and getting like, aid state and government agencies involved. And I think that's what's really unique about what Drawdown Hemp is trying to do. Um, I think it's in the Berkshires where they are really trying to spearhead um, using, you know, the local agencies to, to put hemp in the ground and test it for soil remediation and actually measure it. Um, and I think that, you know, that's, that's very important what they are doing.
0: Yeah. And, and that's the thing it's like the, because there aren't rules around it, hemp is held back. Hemp is held back because they say, well, the EPA doesn't have a guideline, so we can't move forward.
1: And that's a really great point, Adam. Um, because I think right now the, the the farmers and the growers are missing the opportunity to be involved in these conversations, and the technology and the machinery is winning out. And you know. Um, what's great about what Bruce and them are doing is, you know, they're really showing us the numbers that really, like, the farmers should be farming the hemp. That's how we're going to clean the land. That's how we're going to clean the air. And that's how we're going to clean up our our supply chain issues, you know?
0: That's right. That's right. But uh, real quick, going back to regulation that we mentioned, our next guest is actually um, a regulator. She works for the state of Montana. uh, So she works with Ken Elliott, if if you uh, remember that episode. Um, So her name is Michaela Moore, and uh, she runs the hemp program out in Montana. So um, it's going to be really cool to see that side of things. You know, we've seen it from the farmer's perspective, but we do need to have these rules in place so that the farmers know what to do. And so that's kind of what next week is going to be about.
1: Oh, wonderful. I look forward to hearing that. Um, yeah, it, it, it's very important that, you know, everybody involved at hemp at every point and juncture, we we need the state, we need the federal government to be involved in this if we really want to promote it to next level. So I look forward to hearing what Michaela has to say.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, everyone, it's been a, this is our longest episode for sure. Thanks for sticking through to the end. It's been amazing. We'll, we'll see you next week.